0: John chapter 15. Typically, uh, sermons are well organized, ordered. They follow a logical development and come to a conclusion. That's the goal, anyway. Um, so I don't know if what I have for you this morning is a sermon, but uh, it's it's a meditation. It's the kind of thing that I've been thinking about the last uh, several weeks, and particularly this week, as uh, the, the time is drawing closer for me to stop my normal activity and uh, take a break and give God a chance to do whatever it is that He wants to do during that period of time. When we were in uh, East Tennessee back in the summer, late July, early August, Uh, During that time, I was reading Andrew Murray's biography, and as I read that, um, just reading about his life, his story, and how God had used him in the great revival times that came to South Africa that he was privileged to be a part of, and out of his life flowed an abundance of of practical, helpful uh, teaching literature for the church, not only for his congregation, most of whom he had in mind as he wrote. And he wrote a lot of books, and they all tended to point in one basic direction, and that was the deeper life in Jesus Christ, to abide in him, to rest in him, to draw from him, and and out of that flows the life that has richness and fullness and meaning. And I was reading him, and I was reading his biography, and I was reading some of the letters of Paul, the Thessalonian letters and Paul's testimony. And uh, I was struck by Paul's passion that I've been sharing with you the last couple of months. That I may know Jesus Christ. That was his consuming goal in life. He wanted to know Christ. That was the one thing that, that motivated him. It was the one thing that pulled all the activity of his life together. It was the singular purpose for which he lived was to know Christ. He said, I, everything else to me is like a pile of garbage uh, by by comparison. He said, my passion is to know Jesus. And and so those were, were my thoughts. And as I came back from that time, I felt like God was stirring me to spend some time uh, talking about that passion of Paul and how it plays out in our lives. And That's kind of what I've been doing the last uh, number of weeks. I hope you caught on to that by now. Uh, This morning I want to kind of bring that uh, back to a wrap-up to kind of pull it all together as I get ready to go back to the same place and spend some more time just uh, by myself this time focusing on what God wants to say to me and... John 15 comes to mind as a, as a landing place for all the things that have been going on in my own mind. In John 15, Jesus is meeting with his disciples. This is the, the last meal he's going to share with them. He began talking to them in the 13th chapter. It goes all the way through chapter 16. He prays that marvelous prayer in chapter 17 that we call the High Priestly Prayer of Christ. And after that, they go out to the garden place where he prays personally uh, to the Father and he is arrested. So this is the last uh, time he's with them in in this sense, as he's preparing for the cross. And he's sharing with them the things that they really need to get. He also knows that they're probably not going to remember a lot of it. It's interesting in the context of this that he says, the Holy Spirit will bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Uh, and sure enough, he did, because here it is. John wrote it down for us uh, many decades later. But Jesus is sharing his heart with them, the the kernel, the essence of, of his teaching as he brings it to a head for them and wants to leave them with the essentials that they need to get in order for them to accomplish the mission that he has given them. And he says this, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are, they are burned up. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this... "...is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be made full." In these words, Jesus uses a metaphor to describe our relationship with Him. And that metaphor is a picture of a vine that is bearing fruit. And He says there are three elements to the vine there's the vine, there are the branches, and then there's the fruit that hangs on the branches. And he says, my relationship with you is like the relationship of a branch to the vine. I am the source of life. I am the anchor point. I am the root. I am the one who pulls up the nutrients, provides the life-giving flow. I am the one who is the source of all of your being. You are a branch. You simply hang on me. You just hang there between me and the fruit. If you are fruitful, it's because you're connected. You are hanging on the vine. If you are not in connection with the vine, you're not fruitful. You're going to dry up. You're going to wither away. You're not going to have any production in your life. You need to be... Related to me like a branch to the vine. Resting in me. Drawing your life from me. Abiding in me. That's a statement of just existence. Of a resting place. of, Of a place of repose. Abide in me. And I will fill you with my life. And as I do, you will bear much fruit. And then Jesus says this. Very strong statement that I don't believe is hyperbole. You know, hyperbole is when we make this big exaggeration to drive home the point. I don't think Jesus is using hyperbole here. I think he's saying it quite literally. Without me, you can do nothing. There will be no fruit if you're not connected to me. You can work, you can labor, you can... Uh, You can check off all the little boxes. You can accomplish all the goals and all the dreams and all the visions that you have. But if you are not connected to me, it's going to sum up to zero. That anything that we do that has significance and value and lasting benefit is going to be something that was produced in us from the life of the vine. It does not come from the branches. They are merely a conduit as they have their life in the vine. And through them flows the life of the vine into the fruit. And so Jesus describes this relationship of fruitfulness and productivity and blessing and benefit. And and he tells us very plainly, your place is to rest in me. Now, as I was thinking about this passage, because for me it's kind of a summation of several concepts. One of those ideas is Sabbath, and the other one is rest. And our word sabbatical obviously comes from the word for Sabbath. But Sabbath rest, what is Sabbath rest? And I take you back in your mind, if you will, to Genesis, as you recall our studies there from earlier in the year. When God comes to the end of the creative event, we're on day six. The scripture says that he fashioned uh, man from the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. He became a living soul, and then somewhere later in that day he caused the sleep to fall upon him and fashioned out of his own essence, Adam's own essence, a woman to share life with him and presented them as a couple. And we come to the end of the sixth creative day with Adam and Eve kind of standing there in the garden surveying uh, all the, the beauty and the glory that God has made. And they're sort of the crowning focal point. And we are told there was evening and there was morning. The sixth day. And then after that, as we move into chapter 2, we are told that God made all of creation in six days. In six days, He did all of His work. And on the seventh day, He rested. And if you will recall with me uh, what we said about those events as we were studying them, the way that the Bible counts a day begins at sundown. There was evening and there was morning one day. And all through the scripture and the mindset of biblical writers is that that evening time is the start of the next day. Once the sun goes beyond the horizon, the new day has begun. I believe that the order that God gives us in Genesis is for a reason, and and that the creative week is for a reason, that there's a message being underscored here. And that message is that every day begins with rest. And every week concludes with a day of rest before you start again. And if you analyze the time sequence that we're given for Adam and Eve's first day on the planet, if we consider the fact that they were the last thing made on day six, whenever that was, I think we would be foolish to try to put an actual hour of the clock on it, but somewhere uh, after the other things were made, Adam and Eve were made, and as they stood there at the end of that creative day, The sun is setting, and the next thing they're going to do is rest. We sleep at night. And so the first thing that they're going to do with their life is go to bed. Isn't that interesting? The very first thing they're going to do is rest. They have the evening before them. And when they wake up the next morning, guess what they wake up into? The Sabbath day they wake up in the day of rest and i don't think it's an accident that this has been structured this way because god is sending a message to them and and to us throughout the rest of scripture the message that god is sending is i made you so that you would be in my presence and would spend time with me And when we look at God's activity in the Garden of Eden, we find that the only, I find, the only thing He did after creation was walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. That's the only activity we find God engaging in is having an evening walk or a a walk whenever it was in the cool of the day with this couple that He had made. One gets the impression, rather clearly from Scripture, that God's desire in creation is simply to spend time with us. Now, we know from our studies that God does not need us for his existence. He is the self-sufficient one. But that perhaps leads us to even a loftier idea that God wants us, that he desires us. When the scripture says that God desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. You know, there is a word in scripture um, and there's a word in in the New Testament for God's will, as in decree. You know, when the Scripture says, God wills, He decrees, He sovereignly directs, that's going to happen. Nothing can stop it. He is sovereign, He is omnipotent, He has all authority and all power. Nothing can hold Him back. There's nothing He can't do. But when it comes to salvation the personal salvation of each individual, the Scripture says God desires all people to be saved, all men, all women to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Because somewhere in that process, even though it requires His awakening and the energy and power of His Holy Spirit to even make us conscious of our lostness before we can become conscious of His redemption and and all of those things, Somewhere in that process, there is a moment where God gives us a genuinely free choice. Whether we will follow Him or not. And the Scripture expresses the heart of God in that moment. He desires us. He wants us. And when I go back and look at the activity in the garden, I find that what God longed to do was to simply spend time with Adam and Eve. He didn't walk with any of the animals that we have record of. He he didn't, uh, you know, all indications are that he made the rest of the planet for them to enjoy. But he made them particularly for fellowship with Himself. Gave us a mind. Gave us emotions like Himself. Gave us uh, the power to choose. Gave us all of those things so that we would be fully uh, possessed of personhood. So that we could be like Him in His image, in our essence. And that we could have fellowship with Him. Jesus, as he was meeting with his disciples at this last meal that we're talking about here, he said to them, I have greatly desired to have this meal with you. And in Revelation, we have this picture. It's so often misused as an evangelistic verse, but really uh, it's, a, it's a verse of revival, We have Jesus standing outside the door of the church at Laodicea, knocking. And he says, if anyone will hear my voice and open the door, I'll come in and we'll share a meal together. It's a picture of intimate fellowship. I want to spend time with you. Isn't that a strange picture of revival, the way we typically think of it? You know? We have this image of church services and and, and that kind of thing. And Jesus has an image of, let me in so we can eat together. Let's fellowship. I want to be close to you. So when Moses is receiving the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, um, if you're interested in turning there, Exodus chapter 20 verse 8 as Moses is receiving these uh, Ten Commandments. We come to the fourth one in verse 8, and it begins, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you will labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it, you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or your daughter, your male or female servant, even your cattle or the, the sojourner who stays with you, even the, the foreigner who doesn't understand your ways. Don't let them work. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. There is no record that I can find in the Scripture where teaching was specifically given about the Sabbath until we come to the Ten Commandments. This is is the first time the rules are laid down. Here, Here are the ten big rules. This is the first time we encounter them where they're codified for us. They're put all together. And I don't recall that anywhere else until this time that there has been any instruction about the Sabbath day. And yet when we get to the Sabbath, when God gives instructions, He says, remember the Sabbath day. And I believe it not only is telling us to remember to keep it, But remember the point, remember creation, remember the seventh day, remember the Sabbath. That was the day that I was finished with my work and Adam and Eve woke to the dawn. And I spent time with them and they spent time with me. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And he, and he explains what he means by that. He says, set it apart. Six days. You've got six days to get your work done. Do all of your work in six days. We, we have totally different concepts about that, you know, currently. And somehow we feel cheated if we don't get at least two days off. But, and and... I, I'm not begrudging that. I think you know two days is a great idea. The weekend or whatever. But, but God says you got, if you need to work, you've got six days to work. Get all your work done in six days. Because I want you to stop on the seventh day. And I do not want you to do any work. I don't want you to cause anybody to do any work. I don't want you to put your children to work. I don't want you to put your servants to work. I don't even want your cows to work. I just want you to stop on the seventh day and remember it and set it apart to spend that day with me. Now, every time that we become legalistic in our thinking, we mess up God's intent. And, and the, the Jews certainly had messed up the purpose of the Sabbath. There's no question about that. They had royally messed it up, and so by the time Jesus comes on the scene, some 1,500 years after Moses in the period of the New Testament, Jesus is on the scene. They have made so many rules and regulations that the Sabbath is the hardest working day of the week. They're working so hard at trying to rest. You know, they've got all of these requirements that, that, that you know 600 and 40 different rules to keep the Sabbath that they've all got to memorize and follow to the T. And in the midst of that, Jesus is doing good one Sabbath day, and the Jews, of course, are railing their accusations at Him. And He says this in Mark chapter 2, verses 27 and 28, The Sabbath was made for man. Not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. In fact, all three Synoptic Gospels record that statement. The Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And Mark tells us it is because the Sabbath was made for man. In other words... Jesus is saying the reason my father gave the Sabbath was not so much because he wanted to make your life complicated and create some more rules for holiness. It was because you need it. You were designed to be in fellowship with the father and He designed you in such a way that one day out of every seven, you should stop all of your activity and make Him the focus of that day. Because He wants to fellowship with you. I have to keep reminding myself of this. Because... What we have come to call the tyranny of the urgent is always there, pressing. But in the midst of that, I have to remind myself that the reason God made me and the reason that he saved me was not so I could do all these wonderful things for him, but so that I could spend time with him. God wants my fellowship, my communion, and he wants yours. And that's really all he asks. I want you to love me with all of your heart and all of your mind and all of your soul and all of your strength. I want you to spend time with me. I want you to sit at my feet and, and look into my face and talk to me and listen to what I have to say. We we make a lot out of the Mary-Martha story, but the truth is most of us are Marthas. But when Jesus is there and and, and you... Ladies and some of you guys, when it comes to preparing Thanksgiving dinner and you got the family coming over, whatever you're doing, you know, that's always a big deal, or Christmas dinner, just imagine those meals where you're just working like a fiend, trying to get it all done, you know, imagine having 12 people for dinner beside your family, okay, what's involved in that, and you know how it goes, just put, just Take a minute, project yourself into the kitchen, In about 45 minutes, people are going to want to sit down to the table, and there's there's about 15 people in your living room, you know, and Martha is in there just working like crazy to try to pull it all together. And Mary is sitting out there on the floor at the feet of Jesus, just kind of... Sitting there, just listening to the conversation and, and just kind of looking at him, you know, just like there's nothing going on except this moment with Jesus. And and Martha, can you can you feel her angst now? Are you there? Martha comes out and says, "Lord, tell this woman to help me." I I'm trying to get all this stuff done. And he does not say what she wants to hear. He says, Martha, you are busy about so many things. But Mary has chosen the best thing. And I'm not going to take it away from her. What she has chosen is the most valuable. You know, and I, and I don't think Martha wanted to hear that at all. I, there's no evidence that she stopped cooking and started sitting either. My guess is she went back to the kitchen somewhat miffed because she really, really wanted some help and Mary just continued in her dreamy-eyed wonder listening to Jesus. Do you know what that's called, by the way? Worship. That's worship. It's just simply adoring Him. Listening to every word. And Jesus says, this is the better choice. I, I... am wired like Martha. And I really have to listen and be reminded to sit and do nothing but focus on my Lord. How about you? The Sabbath was a time that God set aside because he said, I love you. I made you so we could be friends. I'm not trying to take God off of his exalted position. He He belongs enthroned in the heavens. He is almighty God. But Jesus is the one who said, I have called you my friends. God desires our fellowship. And so he wants us to come into that relationship with Him and just spend time with Him. Time every day. More time once a week. Lots of time from time to time. Have you ever noticed how many festivals that, that the Jews had in their calendar? Do you know what another word for festival is? Party. It's it's a party. It is having fun. It's knocking off all this other stuff, coming together, bringing the lamb, bringing all the food, and just having a great time. They had themes you know they had special seasons some were solemn occasions where it was more focused on atonement and what but a lot of it was just fun just stop everything you're doing and let's party with god in the center of the activity and every once in a while we need to do that we need to take the extended time and just spend it with him and and perhaps with each other Worshipping and praising and enjoying the presence of God, having meals together, um, celebrating together. You know, you saw a video about shoeboxes, packing up the Christmas shoeboxes for Operation Christmas Shawl. That's not supposed to be work, that's supposed to be a party where God is alive in the midst of us, and, and, and there's some, we're just setting aside the routine and we're coming. To to put some things together that are going to be a blessing to people. It it should be a fun time. But there should be other times. Like we're going to have a fellowship luncheon in about 15-20 minutes. You know, where we can just enjoy. But there need to be those extended times. God built them into the life of Israel. And He knew that they were going to be so inclined not to do it that He put penalties. You better do this. This is important. This is the rule. Come have a party. And just enjoy me for a while and remember all the things that I've done for you. Sabbath is about connecting with God. But there's another element to the Sabbath that comes to my mind as I think about John 15. And that's the element of rest. If you abide in me, and I abide in you. Do you know what abide means? It means simply to hang there. If you think about a branch, how much effort does a branch put into hanging on a vine? Well, it's hard to answer because none of us have ever been real branches, have we? But just imagine, how many of you remember doing pull-ups? I'm saying remember because I don't think most of you are doing, are doing pull-ups anymore. I know I'm not. But how many of you remember doing pull-ups? Way back there, you know. You know, and, and, you, and you've done all you can, and then you're, you're hanging there. Is that restful? No, that is not restful. That, that takes a lot of effort. And in fact, I can remember, you know, gym class. Uh, grunting out those last few and now I'm hanging and my hands are starting to come loose and I'm putting all that effort into, <sighs> finally I let go because I just can't do that anymore. But there is something I've done that's very, very different from a pull-up and it's hanging in a restful kind of way and that's repelling. It's very interesting to back off the edge of a cliff with a sit harness, seat harness and a and a chest harness and uh, to have um, the rope dangling down the cliff face and wrapped through what they call a figure eight that's hooked in at your waist here. And it's a special designed um, piece that acts like a gear where the rope winds through it. And so if you hold the rope up, it can slide through it and you can move down the, the face of the cliff. But if all you do is just take your right arm, which is your control arm, if you're right-handed, and you just bring it over to your thigh, the brake comes on, and you just hang. In a very comfortable. It's amazing how comfortable those harnesses are. Maybe it's because you're 100 feet in the air and it feels secure. I don't know, but it is amazing how comfortable those seat harnesses really are. And, uh, you know, I loved the first time that we went years ago with the, with the, uh, high school and college students up to Devil's Lake to do rock climbing and rappelling. And we're this, the fall of the year and we're, you know, I'm hanging off the face of the cliff looking at the trees turning color and the lake way down there. And, and I'm on a cliff face way up high on the side and I'm perfectly at rest. It takes no effort. I'm being supported by the harness and the rope. And it's a completely effortless moment. That's the image of the restfulness of abiding in Christ. We're just hanging there. (laughs) And he's got all of the strength and energy coming from the source. All we have to do is just stay connected. And he takes care of all the rest, including the support. There's a psalm that God has spoken to me from. It's Psalm 46. In that psalm, the psalmist envisions a world in upheaval. Maybe you feel that way sometimes, like your world is coming unglued. I wish my pages would come unglued. There we go. Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. And listen to what he says is happening. Though the earth should change, though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride. That's pretty cataclysmic, wouldn't you say? I mean, this is tsunami kind of cataclysm. Then he says in the middle of it, there's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy dwelling places of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns, The nations make an uproar. The kingdoms tottered. He raised His voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Come behold the works of the Lord, who has wrought desolations in the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariots with fire. And then this statement. Cease striving. Or as the King James puts it, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Verse 10 really says, stop. Stop. Sit down. Rest at my feet. Stop your activity. Quit your work. Stop worrying. Even though the mountains are shaking and the sea is threatening to overwhelm the inhabitants of the earth, stop and know that I am God. Jesus said this same psalm another way. In Matthew 11, when he said, Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and there you will find rest for your soul. Is your world turning upside down? Or are you confused? Are you frustrated? Does it seem like the foundations are shaking? The earth is moving? Life is in upheaval? God's answer is stop. Stop. Look at me. Fix your eyes on me. Come to me. And I will give you rest. It doesn't say that anything stopped happening. It just said that the place of rest is in a person. That he is the answer. And as we gaze upon him. And so Jesus says, abide in me. Abide in me. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you. Unless you abide in me. Do you want to be productive? Do you want to uh, make an impact? Do you want your life to count? Do you want your needs to be met? Do you want your life to be blessed? There's a blessing in the Sabbath. I'm sharing with you what God's been telling me, friends. I, I, I confess to you honestly, getting ready for this event in my life has been a challenge maybe I said this at the beginning of this message, or maybe I said it at 8 o'clock, I don't remember. But I'm kind of addicted to activity. The concept of being away from my church family, my office, my daily routine, my family, the concept of not having anything on my to-do list, not having an agenda, not even knowing what I'm supposed to do next. I, I have a list back there on my desk. i got two more check marks before I can leave town. <laughs> I've been working on that list for a while, and i got two more spaces. And when I check those off, I have nothing on my to-do list. Do you know how much anxiety that produces in me? (laughs) You know? But I know that God calls us to these things. Every day He calls us to spend time sitting at His feet. No matter what's going on. Every week he calls us to just stop. Just stop. Put your tools away. Be with me. You know, that doesn't mean you have to dress in all black and, you know, sit in a rocker with the Bible in your lap. Take the family. Go to the park. Whatever. Take a walk. Spend time with him. And time together, but stop your work. The Sabbath was made for you. And every once in a while, take a break and reconnect. Because if you're like me, life gets tedious. I get too many irons in the fire. I run from pillar to post. From dawn till dusk and beyond, because I can turn on a light and I need to just stop. So I, I want to share what God's been telling me because I think we all need it. And you pray for me that I'll get it while I'm gone. Father, we want to be fruitful. We want to be fruitful. We want our lives to count. And you tell us very plainly that the only way that will happen is if we are connected and resting in you. Lord Jesus, we want to know you, but the only way that's going to happen is if we spend time with you. You want to come in and have a meal with us, so to speak. You want to just fellowship with us. You want us to stop and rest and learn to abide constantly in your presence. And so, Father, I pray for all of us this morning. Thank you for the wonderful privilege this church family is affording me to take an extended period. I don't know what it's going to look like, Lord, but I pray that it will be not wasted, not work, but not wasted. I pray that it will be refreshing as I just sit at your feet, whatever that means, whatever my activity, may it be the quiet, meditative gazing until, Lord, we're tight, so to speak, we're connected. And your thoughts, your life, your work flows through me. And I pray that for our fellowship. May we be faithful, fruitful followers of the Lord Jesus. In his name I pray. Amen.